0: Would you turn in your Bibles now to the book of Jonah? We begin our study uh, tonight looking at just verses 1 through 3, which introduces uh, the book to us as Jonah receives a call from God to go uh, far, far uh, to the east, uh, into the Assyrian empire to the great city of Nineveh and there to proclaim uh, a message of repentance to the Assyrians. And of course, he didn't want to do that, and so he, he went the other direction as far as he could go. So we hear now the reading of God's word, Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would... uh, Help us to understand and know when you are calling us, not only in a general sense to a relationship with you and to a light that honors you, but also in particular, as you would call us to serve you in various ways. We pray, Heavenly Father, that however difficult that may, that call may seem to be or appear to be to us, You will give us courage and strength through the Lord Jesus Christ to trust You with it. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Someone asked Emily Post, who is the expert on... What is the right thing to do in the right situation, manners, and such? This question What is the procedure, the correct procedure, if you are invited to the White House but you have a previous engagement? Well, this is the answer she gave. An invitation to lunch or dine at the White House is a command and automatically cancels all other engagements. Well, you can make of that what you will, but it does raise an interesting question. Do some calls or invitations in our lives have priority over everything else in life? A businessman might say to his secretary, Hold all my calls, except for if my wife calls, let her through. Something like that. Of course, the call that we're dealing with tonight is not the call of a president or the call of a wife or anybody else, but it is the call of God. The call of God in the life of a man named Jonah. Jonah. And from this text, among other things, we learn that the call of God must be given an absolute priority in our lives. It supersedes everything else. We notice this from this text, these verses, as well as uh, several other things. Three things we'll note from these verses. First of all, that the only legitimate response there is to the call of God is obedience. Secondly, that that obligation to obey the call of God does not change no matter how difficult that call might appear to be. And then lastly, to reject the call of God is, in effect, to reject God Himself. First, the only legitimate response to the call of God would be to respond by obedience to that call. Now, here we note, first of all, that the Lord called Jonah uh, to serve him now in a different location with a different mission than that which he had uh, received from God before. It's now to a different people, even than he had been called to serve before. It is a sense, a new. And different commission that Jonah received now. Jonah was a prophet of God, and prophets were called by God and sent on uh, their mission as a sacred spokesman uh, to God on behalf to God's people on behalf of the word himself. Now Jonah lived at the very end of uh, the prophet Elisha's ministry. Uh, during a time of great turmoil among the northern ten tribes of Israel. Those ten tribes were called the nation of Israel, and the southern two tribes were called Judah. And those ten tribes were characterized by continual idolatry and spiritual adultery, and God brought the Assyrians against them to chastise them. They were warned about that on numerous occasions. Jonah was one of those Prophets that spoke to Israel about their spiritual adultery and called them to repentance. Uh, We have one reference to his ministry in that regard in 2 Kings chapter 14. And Jonah speaks to the nation of Israel and says, Even though you have rebelled against God and there will be great judgment against you, yet the Lord will be gracious and will restore the land of Israel to his people in The days to come. Not long after Jonah's ministry there, the nation of Assyria came and devastated the northern ten tribes and carried them away, not like the Babylonians in the captivity, but just scattered them throughout uh, the whole of the Assyrian Empire, such that uh, they are now referred to as the lost ten tribes of Israel. They were never recovered. So Jonah, like all of the other prophets of Israel, was employed by God to warn the people of Israel about the judgment of God and call them to repentance. So Jonah was already in God's service. He was already a prophet of God. But now the Lord calls Jonah to a different mission. Now he is to go to a different place and to minister God's word to a different people. It is, in a sense, an unusual assignment. Sometimes the call of God on the life of a prophet uh, was not something that he desired, not something that he wanted to do, uh, was burdensome to him. Now, Jonah is being called by God to leave Israel and go now to a foreign land, one that was strange to him, to a pagan land. He is now to go into the very Assyrian Empire that had just destroyed the nation of Israel. And there to go to their major city, the city of Nineveh, and cry out, against it to warn them of God's judgment and to call them to repentance. But, as you perhaps well know, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And so instead of going to Nineveh, which was to the east, Jonah turned and went in the direct opposite direction and went straight west to the city of Joppa and there found him Uh, A ship that he could take that would carry him even further to the west, further away from the place to which God was calling him. Now what I want you to notice here is that God did not ask Jonah if he would like to go to Nineveh. He didn't ask, who will volunteer to go to Nineveh and to warn them about my judgment. He didn't call up Jonah and give him several options and ask him to choose the one that he thought was best suited to his gifts or ask him where he would like to go if he could choose anywhere in the world. No, the call of God in Jonah's life was sovereign. And when the sovereign God calls a man to do something, then the only legitimate response is simple and immediate obedience. Note verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. It was... Nothing less than the very Word of God, Almighty God, the sovereign God of the heavens and the earth, that came. And the command is brief and sudden, abrupt and imperative. And he has given no explanation and no preparation. He is just to immediately heed the call of God. Now, sometimes we know that God prepared prophets for their mission. Think about Isaiah's vision when Isaiah saw God in all of His holy purity in the temple. And then, by way of contrast, saw his own sin and brokenness and cried out to God, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And then God called upon him, Who will go? Isaiah said, I will go. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Or Jeremiah, in conference with God, in the Lord reassuring him, Be not afraid, for I am with you to deliver you. But not so with Jonah. Suddenly Jonah gets redirected. He gets a new call. Suddenly, the naked imperative of the call of God is upon him. Arise, go to Nineveh, and cry out against it, God says to him. One commentator remarks on this very text, In his dealings with you, he will sometimes expect the implicit, immediate submission without inquiry, without explanation, and without delay, which an absolute sovereign may demand. Think about Abraham. God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. And Abraham, perhaps surprisingly to us, obeyed the command of God immediately and trusted him. God charges you and I to serve him in obedience to his call immediately, unquestioningly casting ourselves upon Him, leaving all things in His hands, trusting the Lord with all our heart, lean not upon our understanding and all our ways acknowledge Him, knowing He will direct our paths. And this is true of our general calling as God calls us into a relationship with Himself and then calls us to a life of obedience. Romans one sixty-seven says that we are the called of Jesus Christ we are called as saints, that is, to be holy men and women. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12 tells us that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, worthy of the call of the God who calls us into His own kingdom and glory to live in the holy life in obedience to His Word. And that call is not an optional call. It's not uh, that we could say, well, yes, we might pursue a life of holiness or we might not pursue one. It uh, depends on how we feel about that. No, that is a call from a sovereign God to live a holy life in obedience to the will of God. And that's true also of our particular callings, whatever those might be. Whether they be the common callings of life, like to motherhood or fatherhood or to be a husband or a wife uh, or whatever else God might call us to be, businessman, preacher, missionary, lawyer, doctor, whatever it might be. In that calling, we are to serve Him in obedience. So whatever God calls us to do, the only legitimate response to it, to that call, is to say, okay God, here I am. Grant me the grace to be obedient to what You call me to do. Secondly, We know this, that whatever God charges us to do in obedience, that calling remains in our lives no matter how difficult it might be. Now, the text tells us that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach, but that he then arose and went the opposite direction. He went exactly the opposite place that he was called to go to. So instead of immediate obedience to the call of God, Jonah responded with immediate disobedience. You can hardly express it more clearly than the way the text expresses it. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, we might ask the question, well, why? Why would he do this? Well, several reasons have been offered by the commentators, all of which boil down to this. He found certain aspects of this call distasteful. There were certain things about this that were difficult to him. Some suggest that it was the immensity of the task. It was too big, too great for any one man uh, to take upon himself. After all, uh, the the city of Nineveh, as they've excavated it, had a a 60-mile circumference. The walls were 100 feet high and wide enough, they say, for three chariots to travel on side by side. 1,500 towers were found along this wall, all of them 200 feet high, and about 2 million people living in the city of Nineveh. So there's one little prophet traveling out of his comfort zone and placed upon his shoulders the responsibility to cry out against all of the wickedness of Nineveh. So some suggest that he found it too difficult, it was too big, for him to take upon himself. Sometimes we might feel that way about what God has called us to do. It's too hard to live a life of godliness in this age. It's too difficult to To bear testimony to the gospel in this culture. Or to be a godly businessman and really be a man of integrity. It's just too hard to carry through with that. And so we forget about the task. It's too difficult. Yet the Lord tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faithful is He who calls you and He will also bring it to pass. So perhaps it was the immensity of the task that caused him difficulty. But then others suggest perhaps it was the danger associated with the task that caused him to want to flee. Because Nineveh was not only a great city, it was also a wicked city. And a long journey would be traveled in great danger to get there. You look at the book of Nahum. The third chapter, verses 1 through 6, there is this pronouncement against that city. Woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. The noise of the whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots. Horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming. Many slain, a mass of corpses and countless dead bodies. And on and on goes the description. So perhaps it was the the overwhelming wickedness of that place that Jonah thought, no, I can't go there. What could one poor little Hebrew preacher do in that great city. They will just kill me. So who am I to do that? And so he decides not to go, but to go somewhere else. So perhaps it was the danger involved. Some suggest that perhaps it was rather his zeal for the exclusiveness of Israel... And did not want the Ninevites or the Assyrians to have an opportunity to repent having just seen the Israelites, his own people, judged by those very same Assyrians. So perhaps it was this severe trial to his own faith to be sent to a pagan city to preach, and not just any pagan city, but the very city that, from which was orchestrated the attack on his own people. He was a prophet to the chosen people of Israel, to the elect of God. And of course, one of the thrusts of the message of the book of Jonah is God is reminding his people that his covenant plans were not to be in the final analysis exclusively related and restricted to them, but also was to encompass the very ends of the earth. Remember what God said to Abraham in his first covenant promised to him, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So, Perhaps it is the idea that God might be gracious and merciful and might bring blessing upon a pagan, wicked people like the Ninevites that is so distasteful to Him that He cannot bear the fault of going there and preaching and then perhaps repenting and God withholding His judgment. One commentator suggests this. In these words, the prophet doubtless reckoned on spending the remainder of his days in his own land. The very last thought, probably, that would have ever spontaneously entered his mind would have been the idea of having to go forth from its sacred precincts and exercise his holy office among a heathen, pagan people. So we consider it all. It wasn't just... Perhaps the immensity of the task alone or the danger of the task that caused him to disobey, but rather also this distasteful proposition that somehow Nineveh might repent and escape the judgment of God. But the lesson for us is this. We don't get to choose what God is calling us to do. And no matter how distasteful or difficult it may seem to be to us, if it is the call of God, still we must obey. And of course, the Lord Jesus is the one who exemplifies that more clearly and better than anybody, isn't He? Do you remember Him in the Garden of Gethsemane, agonizing over the call of God to be the Redeemer of His elect, And to go and lay down His life in their place to experience the awful wrath and judgment of God in the place of guilty sinners. And Jesus wrestles with that, the reality of that wrath that we poured out upon Him and cries out in His human nature, Let this cup pass, but not My will, but Your be done. Lastly, we note that rejecting the call of God is really tantamount to rejecting God Himself. Isn't it curious what is stated about Jonah in verse 3? Jonah rose up to flee to the fleet of Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, so he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Twice it states that Jonah was running from the presence of the Lord. It wasn't just the call or the mission that he was rejecting, but it was also his desire to escape the presence of God himself. Now you can say this one thing for Jonah, at least he did not seek to gloss over his disobedience with an air of religiosity like so many today. He didn't say, well, you see, I love God, and I really know God and want to be with God, but I'm also going to continue to live this life of rebellion against God. I know that God called me to a life of moral purity, but I'm still going to... You know, do all the sleeping around and whatever else I want to do, but I still love God. No, Jonah realized that to reject the call of God was to reject the presence of God. You ever noticed that people who begin to reject God's call, who begin to um, say, I don't want to live the life that God calls me to, they also then begin to withdraw from the presence of God as well. I always notice that whenever I see someone, uh, they start to become absent, distant, irregular. There are all kinds of reasons for why that can happen, but often it is because they begin to reject God's call in their life to live a life of godliness before him and as they reject that call they also withdraw from God's presence it's really not possible is it I mean David tells us in Psalm 139 where shall I go that I may escape your presence and he says if I if I go to the very depths of the sea behold you are there and Jonah found out that. But nevertheless, as he turns his back on the call of God, he turns his back on the presence of God. And he rose up to flee. Some um, suggest that Tarshish was an ancient word for uh, what we today call the nation of Spain. Several hundred miles to the west, when he was supposed to be going east. As far away as possible. He goes to Joppa, finds a boat that's headed the opposite direction and buys him a ticket. And apparently he had no trouble finding one. The world is full of helps and incentives to run from the call of God and away from the presence of God. But of course, the point is you cannot reject the call of God's Word and remain at the same time in the favorable presence of God. The great British General, uh, General Montgomery, who was a professed believer, revealed a basic principle of obedience which he thought should govern soldiers under the command of their superior officer. When he came into the command in North Africa, the war was not going well. World War, World war II, the Nazis were moving across North Africa, and uh, he was there to rescue the Allied forces from their almost complete destruction. And he put out a general principle about commands. He said, from now on, orders no longer form the basis for discussion, but rather action. Because he discovered that all up and down the chain of command, everybody was second-guessing every command they were given. So nothing was going on. He said, Previous orders had generally been queried by subordinates right down the line. I was determined to stop this state of affairs at once. The call of God... In our lives, must be given absolute priority above everything else. Will you say, Lord, your orders are no longer the basis for discussion, but rather for action? What is God calling you to do? Is it to be a godly wife? To be a godly husband? to apply biblical principles to your business? Is it to preach the Gospel? Whatever it is, no matter what the difficulties you may face, it is the call of God. May God help you to heed that call as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus who did not shrink back from the call that You gave Him to be our Redeemer, no matter what difficulty You faced. Father, we, some of us, are facing some grave difficulties in the general callings of our lives. We pray, O Lord, You would give us strength to heed that call to obey You in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.